Welcome to Masters of Business, a show that gives you real-world techniques, cutting-edge strategies, and extraordinary insights for managers and leaders who want to develop the business acumen needed to go faster and farther in their business careers. Now, here's the master himself, Stephen Haynes. Welcome back, everyone. Um, as you know, I've created this broadcast, Masters of Business, to guide people who are on their journey to leadership success by leveraging the core building blocks of business acumen. And by the way, one of the things that I realize is not everybody has a good definition of business acumen. And on um, my website, business-acumen.com, you will find something called a business acumen canvas that may be very, very helpful to you in looking at the different constructs of business acumen. Um, notice also that this show is available not only through your normal podcast channels like iTunes and so on, or I think they call it Apple Podcast now, um, as well as a video cast that's currently being done on YouTube. Anyway, so um, today um, I'm going to be speaking with Ralph Laura. Um, and I recently came into contact with Ralph, even though we worked in the same company, AT&T and its Bell Laboratories unit for like a million years ago when dinosaurs rolled the earth. But um, he's now the CIO of, of Lumentum, a Silicon Valley-based tech company. And he's also, which is I think really, really the coolest thing, um, one of the founders of the Technology Business Council. And I'm gonna ask Ralph to tell us some of these things. when. Ralph, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen. Very, very glad to be here. So, so when you and I first spoke, I took four pages of notes. I couldn't write fast enough in terms of some of the things you were telling me about, in terms of digesting um, ways that you saw the world. And it's, you know, it's what's so weird to me is that, you know, so we've been around the block for a few years, and there are a lot of people who fall down, make mistakes, and things like that, and. It's, part of my mission to help people sort of get there faster and stop falling down. Um, but and because we emphasize business acumen, I, I really, if you could just start from scratch, I would love you to share your story with our listeners. Sure, sure. So um, so I, I, I kind of grew up in the tech space. I was a math and uh, early computer science, uh, you know, kind of aficionado, uh, graduated with a math and computer science degree. Uh, and at the time, this is mid '80s. Uh, I was very interested in what was happening in the area of computer networking. So I looked around who was doing interesting things, and I decided that the one, the one and only interesting place I wanted to work was uh, AT&T Bell Labs. And they were the home of the Unix operating system. They were in the home of some really interesting things being done with data networking. Uh, and I thought uh, it was like, hey, I want to work here. So I literally, I graduated college. I sent out one resume. I got one interview, took it to, you know, got a job offer and went to work for Bell Labs. Very laser focused on what I wanted to do. And you know, out of, out of college, um, my first role was a programmer. So I was a, a operating system programmer. I wrote initially assembly language pro, uh, code, then device driver code for the Unix kernel at Bell Labs. And um, you know, my experience my, in, in IT, what would soon become my experience in IT, uh, begin there because my um, experience was while it was a great place to work with really interesting technology and brilliant people, um, you know, some of the processes just seemed frustrating. It was, we would queue up our compiles to happen overnight, you know, on some big batch system uh, on a mainframe, and it was frustrating because it was you know you wouldn't find out till the morning that you had an error in your code that you could have fixed much earlier, and you know you just wasted all this time. 
And, and at the time, uh, you know, Sun workstations were kind of just coming out. The Sun 2, in fact, was the workstation we, we had used. And my office mate and I, uh, frankly, were complaining to our boss about uh, how frustrating it was. And he said, yeah, if you guys think you can do better, go do better. So we, we, he gave us, I think, four Sun workstations. We went and built a little network and crossed, you know, ported over the compilers. And, you know, and kind of about a eight, nine months later, um, we woke up one day and we're running more uh, uh, compiles on our little cluster than we'd been running on the mainframe before. So it was like this, you know, but, but now what we would call that is user-centric design or we were being focused on user experience or being focused on process optimization. Back then it was just, you know, we were frustrated engineers and, you know, we went to seek a solution for our frustrations. Can I stop for one second? Because I just want to take a pause, all right? People who are in business, who become passionate, become engaging, all right, they find something to hook onto. It's almost like, you know, the dog, the, 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 the angry dog who grabs hold of your pants leg and is like pulling and pulling and pulling. And, you know, I think this is sort of the heart of innovation, right? It's, you know, I was watching, I know it's going to sound really odd. I'm, I was watching this TikTok video and I, I'm a DIY person and I was watching some um, builder or new a, a company that made products for con- people in construction, and it was sort of where where did your roof meet your siding? And there was a flashing, and that when builders are on site, they have to go do all these different things. And somebody said, you know, why are they doing it this way? And they came up with this new molded thing that would shield away rainwater and seal up things and stuff like that. And the guy basically said, because the only way you can invent something is you actually have to go do it. Yeah. Yeah. You did it. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and the re- kind of the rest of my journey in a way from Bell Labs, I, I ultimately went to uh, a small uh, hedge fund on Wall Street. I was at Cisco Systems for a number of years right. uh, through the kind of growth, pre-bubble acquisition and growth phase uh, um, uh, and, and a number of other companies. The, the net of it is what I, what I tended to find, um, my experience was a lot of people were doing things inefficiently with com- with the computer systems or networks or or what have you, and they were becoming frustrated. So users were becoming frustrated with their perception of things not working. Often, if you can find a way to engage the user and show them what's happening, give them feedback around choices, you'll get the right end user behavior and, the, and a much higher level of satisfaction. So, for instance, um, you know, I remember I, I was a CIO at the Clorox company. Uh, a decade or more ago, and one of our big competitors was was P&G. And I remember seeing an article in the Wall Street Journal right around the time that um, you know March Madness was going on. And this was a decade or more ago. The internet wasn't quite up to video streaming you know, speeds that it is today. And I remember saying something about how uh, uh, P&G was filtering content or blocking content because you know their their networks were being overwhelmed by March Madness. By, by employees going out to try to stream, um, you know, the NCAA uh, tournament events. And I thought, um, in my way of thinking, and what, what has worked for me throughout my career has been not to try to be the IT police, to filter, to stop, to prevent. It's been to inform. So what we did, instead of trying to block all that, we sent out a note to all of our employees and said, hey, uh, by the way, uh, video content is now consuming X percent of the network bandwidth. This is impairing our ability to serve our customers and your your you know fellow employees to get the work done. So if you guys would just like be careful about that, we'd appreciate it. Overnight, people stopped using 
the internet for that. They really understood and they were like, hey, I'm here to support. Whereas I think the PNG response was a bunch of people went on their phone, did their Wi-Fi hotspot, you know, tried to find other ways around the blockade, so to speak, versus going, hey, you know what? I get it. I'm a team player. I'm going to do the right thing. So that's been the foundation of a lot of good work around being a you know, business acumen is understanding what people are trying to accomplish, giving them the information about it so that they can make informed decisions that, that make everybody uh, uh, more effective. Goodness. You know, I, I was just doing an interview with somebody earlier today about, about he, this guy is a um, chief customer success officer in a, in, a, in a software company as well. And use, I wrote down in the note, inefficiency equals user frustration. And whether it's a user of a technology system or a user in a car, whatever it is, um, people do get frustrated. And when signals are missed, and I'm going to tell you an example. I was working with one of the automakers and in their digital sort of the, you know, the, the thing with the displays, you know, I, I, telematics, I think they call that. And, I, and I'm sitting and talking to them about it, saying, you know, you guys, you have the great display. It's all touch. You're talking about the tech. But I got to tell you something. Isn't a big problem today distractive driving? So why are you building stuff that distracts me that I have to take my mind off? I don't, there are no tactile controls. There's nothing that I can do without looking. And, and, and I think about user frustration and what is going on in the world where people are so engrossed in their ideas that don't necessarily matter or consider customers or users. Have you encountered that at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, oh you know, I think, and this is true, true I think, uh, historically with IT, there's been a lot of, that you, you design for the process owner, not for the process user. So here's another example. I was onboarded to HP when I joined. HP was running a very popular HR platform. Um, and so I got a note saying, welcome to HP. You know, connect here to you know, sign up for your account. So I do that. Close out that ticket. You know, 20 seconds later, I get another email that says, oh, now it's time to fill out your 1099. I fill that out. You know, 30 seconds later, I get another ticket that says, oh, now it's time to request your PC and your, you know, what kind of phone you want, et cetera. So I counted like 20 steps. It was 20 processes. Now, what, what had happened? It wasn't the technology was bad. It's good technology. And it, and it was all automated. It was all self-service. It was great. But somebody, the person, each person who had a process to complete, oh, I'm, I'm in charge of making sure we do proper tax withholding. I'm going to ensure we do this this way. So they ran their process and somebody designed a set of tools to solve their process. Well, instead of going, you know what? I have a new employee. I'm gonna ask this new employee. And by the way, each one of those steps often asks for my name over again and a bunch of other things. Hey, I'm gonna figure out the 28 data points I need to ask an employee. I'm gonna build a form. I'm gonna present that single form to this employee. They're gonna fill out all the information. They're gonna hit send. And then in the back end, I'll dispatch 20 different processes to go fulfill the requirements I have in the back end to meet my process owner's needs. Most people don't take that second step. They just do the process automation and it's all about end-to-end -end process, but it's not about that user experience. And that, I think that's the big difference. And that, that brings me to another point because um, also when we were speaking, um, we were talking about systems and systems thinking. And when, when you describe 
processes and stuff like that inside of an organization. You know, I think of an organization is like an organism and it's got a lot of dynamic interconnected systems that sort of, if they're not kept in balance, cause imbalances and imbalances lead to inefficiencies and things like that. I mean, people, companies are leaving money on the table all over the place. And we need people to think about these systems, not necessarily about their rote job or the rote process. It's sort of like I have to, you, everybody, instead of being down here, needs to sort of look up here. Um, I know that you're an advocate for systems thinking. Um, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about it. Yeah, so, so a lot of people are focused, again, on the problem in front of them, the process they own, the, the small interaction they're, they're, or the piece of work stream that they're responsible for. Mm -hmm. Which is which is understandable, right? Because a lot. Hey, I'm going to focus on my job, and I got to hit this number. I got to deliver this this widget. Um, but I think the the people I seek out on an IT organization, particularly at the kind of manager architecture, you know, kind of technical level, are people that can see the second and third order consequences of an action. Right? I'm going to do this. Hey, when I do that, I bet it's going to drive these other behaviors. How do I then think about that behavior and the one that comes after that? And then I'm going to take an action. It's optimized for the next three steps, not just for this first move. It's sort of like chess, right? If you're playing chess, you don't think about the move. You think about this move and then what's, how does that set up my next move and how does that set up, kind of set up the third move so that I can get where I need and what might their response be to this move? So how do I, like, so system thinking is essentially playing you know, multi-dimensional chess around business process and technology. And the people that think that way are golden. Those are really, really good skills to have. Yeah. You know, when, when executives talk about um, this, one of these characteristics of business acumen called strategic thinking, um, about how you collect, connect the dots, how you see all these different things, um, it's about all these second and third order issues. It's thinking ahead. Um, one senior executive used to say, you know, you, you know, you need leaders to be able to sort of see around corners. Well, the way I see it is you need to anticipate what is going to happen. That's the essence of strategic planning. Um, people get co so consumed with the down here and the tactical and the process and things like that. They don't understand how things fit together. Now, as we evolve this conversation and, and our users are, are our listeners or our users, hopefully they're going to get something from this. Um, we talked about this technology business management council that you founded or co-founded. And I would love to hear what your mission and vision is there and perhaps sort of meshing some of those issues related to business acumen and some of the things that are happening in your council. Yeah. So, so before I jump there, the, uh, on the other topic of systems sure. thinking and, strat and strategic thinking, I, I think one of the other things that is, is that many of many IT organizations struggle with is most of us have an idea of what the high level company strategy is. It's been, it's been communicated by executives. There's some clarity on, Oh, we're going to be, you know, we have a five, five, five strategy or we're going to go, you know, deliver highest quality in the industry, or we're going to be, what's our differentiated high-level high company strategy, and maybe even the activation plan for the strategy. But IT has this uh, high-level strategy, and then there's often a set of programs and projects. But there's this missing middle of how those projects and projects truly connect in a meaningful way to company strategy. So if one of the strategies is drive sales growth, um, you know, what are the elements within the programs and projects that are connected to that portfolio objective. If one is 
uh, improve operational efficiency? What are the elements that connect to that objective? And then how do I ensure they stay aligned and that I don't drift, that I don't, I don't move uh, uh, too far away from that strategic intent? And that's, in fact, a big part of how we started TBM, right? So TBM was an acknowledgement uh, initially by there were eight CIOs that, that began the program or began the organization. One of the acknowledgements was we all had, um, we all had lived through, we all had our own internal asset, right? So one of the big problems with an IT is IT is a organization that delivers generally, th- delivers via a set of services or increasingly what people consider product management sort of products that they deliver to a set of users within the company. The problem is the way we do budgeting is essentially by you know, GL code and organization structure. So it's great if I'm filing my 10K or I want a balance sheet for the financials of the company, but, but it doesn't tell me what my services-based costs are or my product cost is because it's an element of, oh, it's a little bit of hardware, it's a little bit of software, it's depreciation, it's some of this headcount, it's a, a third-party you know, contract labor, et cetera. Oh, in some cases, it's a fraction of a piece of hardware. How do I determine which fraction goes toward this service versus the other? So there's some complexity in how we managed IT. So most of us had built, you know, what I, you know, I think without to, to put it very bluntly, we built the spreadsheet from hell, right? Big spreadsheet full of pivot tables, a bunch of like how we allocate stuff to whomever, and it was a perpetual argument about, well, I didn't, it's not fair. I'm getting too much of this or too much of that, or I, you know, I don't agree with this kind of stuff. And it, it, and again, back to my if I can give people information about how their behavior affects their outcome, I can influence their behavior. So those, those spreadsheets were around trying to create a, 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 a knowledge about behavior. And so what TBM did is it, is it normalized that. We created a, we realized it was very inefficient for every company, every company IT function to go create that. So we created the standard TBM taxonomy that we could map to, so it was easier to understand, to to do that work, and then easier to compare ourselves to others. Am I doing good work or not? Am I efficient or not? And we we ultimately settled on, most of this surrounds four value conversations. So the obvious, first table stakes is cost for performance, right? Are we, does IT cost right? Am I spending too much or too little? Am I efficient in how I deliver IT, right? So, cost for performance, the run the business kind of metric. And there's a set of data around that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My cost per PC, my cost per ticket, the help desk and so on. Then the second conversation is around a business aligned portfolio, right? So um, I'm being asked to do a million things. I can't do them all. So I'm going to do some of them. Am I doing the right ones? Are they aligned to the precise business needs that are going to drive our strategic agenda, be it growth or profitability or, or what have you? Um, and does the spending on IT, you know, kind of maintenance overwhelm, you know, does my run the business cost too high so I don't have enough change the business costs and so on? So how do I optimize that mix? And then uh, the third conversation is around in- investment in innovation, the change the business piece. So how do I increasingly find ways to funnel uh, resources toward the improving technology service offerings, improving product offerings, what now most people would call digital transformation. How do I get more into the digital transformation kind of category and less in the, you know, keep the lights on category. And, and then the last conversation is around agility. Uh, and again, we've seen this in, in uh, you know, large volumes in the last couple of years. 
the pace of change, the threats to our business, the opportunities in our business have come in at us faster and faster, right? Every month, every week, every, like the, with, with pandemic and other things, supply chain constraints, lots of opportunity and threats within the business. How do we within IT adapt to that quickly? And so TBM is a set of processes and tools and, and, and models around attacking those four questions in different ways. You know, I, I work with a lot of companies and and their IT organizations, and I've I've seen these, but I don't know that. I think that they there's this desire to embrace these, but I don't think they. I don't know that they they don't know what they don't know at this point, which is why I think that TB, TBM is going to be important for them. And um, there there are so many things that you said in that, and I was copiously writing notes because whenever you, now you talk, I write all the time because like I feel like you're like a teacher. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, IT is a business, you know, when I was um, in, the, in AT&T and I was in their data or IT business, I, I was focusing on the creation of a for-profit, non-profit. I was going out and talking to all the user communities. I knew nothing. I was a kid. But the only way I know is go out and find, you know, sources, uses, see what's going on um, and build models around that. And, you know, one of the things to, to master this, this, beast called business acumen sometimes you just need to know how does your business really work how does it make yeah. money how does it how does it both incur cost and how does it produce profit at the end of the day and people who are rising through different levels of leadership need to embrace these constructs these idea of cost performance and and an aligned portfolio which is tantamount to what senior executives do when they're looking at the entire company's product portfolio and say, where should we be allocating our money to what strategic end? And very often there are gaps between what the executives are thinking about, because they keep it to themselves, and what everybody else is doing running around the maze. Right. And I find that frustrating. And I feel that frustration when I'm talking to people or training or doing whatever I'm doing. So, and, and listen, I can go on forever, but before, and I want to, I do want to sum up, um, how do people find out about um, the Technology Business Management Council? Yeah, yeah so it's a very simple, tbmcouncil.org uh, website. It'll give you all the information. You can download some you know, white papers and some other things. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also an ebook that we've published. Uh, oh. So you can create the, download the ebook and kind of read the book. There are a number of case studies around those four uh, examples uh, uh, and a number of other assets in the, in the ebook. And then uh, uh, the TBM Council offers training and certification as well. So you can sign up for a class, uh, uh, get involved in uh, the TBM conference. So a, a number of ways, all, all beginning at that uh, tbmconference.org website. I can't, I can't wait to tell some of my clients about it because I think that um, they will greatly benefit. I mean, maybe someone will surprise me and they already know about it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I have pages <laughs> again, but um, and I and I don't have hours to spend because people are either driving or running or whatever they're doing when they're listening or watching these things. But, um, you know, business is business and and people who are astute leaders and managers tend to grasp many of the things that you talked about in terms of what are we trying to do? Who are we trying to serve? What do we incur in terms of cost in order to bring that about? And what is the value that we are ultimately providing? And I think that constant reflection and constant surveillance of things that are going on, of all these moving parts can contribute to anybody's 
um, business acumen and ability to develop as a leader, as a communicator, as a knowledgeable person. And, you know, it, it doesn't happen in a moment. Right. You have to experience these things time and time again. You got to fall down, you got to get up, and you have to find good mentors to teach you these things. And and I, I'm really um, so incredibly proud to be talking to you um, and having you share some of these insights, both in your own career development as a when you're a programmer, because I remember some of those things, except I didn't choose that route, um, working in a similar company, even having watched the AT&T complex evolve over the years, yep. right? That is a case study. I mean, the only sad part is that the laboratory is sort of like, like that, which is really one of the sadder things, but you know, only we can get that, I guess. And now we sound like dinosaurs, but I don't really care. Um, but as long as we are helping people who are emerging and um, becoming the productive leaders of the future. That's all I care about. So with that, thanks a lot, Ralph. And um, hopefully that um, everybody out there will have benefited from the content here. So I hope you'll tune in for another episode of Masters of Business. I'm Stephen Haynes. I'll see you next time. You've been listening to Masters of Business with Stephen Haynes, a podcast that captures the ideas and lessons learned from thinkers and leaders in business. If you'd like to take your company to the next level, consider the courses and books from the Business Acumen Institute. To learn more, go to business-acumen.com.